The question I pose to you is, do you believe the Bible? Whatever you do, don't touch your face. Do you believe the Bible? I bet if I went down through this and do you believe the Bible, don't, don't give me, don't look at me, it's okay. You'd say yes, yes, yes. Partially out of embarrassment, maybe. But I, w- I would think 99% of you would say you do believe the Bible. Why would you be here this morning if you didn't believe the Bible? I'm going to call you folks the core group. You are Bible believers. It's not so important that you're independent Baptists or independent fundamentalists. What is important is that you're a Bible believer. <clears throat> you believe the Word of God as it is. For people as they are. Amen. And I just asked that question to you this morning. Do you believe the Bible? I want you to mull that over a little. It's not an easy question. I wouldn't be too hasty in agreeing with me or that you do. You need to consider the things of this message. And after this message, I'm going to pose the same question to you. And then tell me whether you really believe the Bible. By the way, let me tell you what believing is not. It is not an intellectual assent. People will come to me and say that they historically believe that there was a figure named Jesus and he lived and there was too much witness about it, there's too many testimonies about it, too many historical records and accounts about it, so they believe it. God's not looking for your intellectual agreement. The heavens declare the glory of God. Firmament testifies of who He is. God does not try to convince you He is. He says He is. And then you, you'll figure it out by looking around. Nobody with a reasoning, common sense mind could accept that all that we see around us somehow evolved. From simple to complex. Nothing ever has done that. It doesn't do that. A, four, a, a 747, which is the most compli- com- complicated plane ever made up to that point, did not assemble itself. And you could let us, you could let all those parts sit there for millenniums and, and billions and trillions of years, and it would have never assembled itself. And life does not assemble itself either. God assembles life. The complexity of it, the intricacy of it the tenderness of it, the toughness of it, the ability to survive and reproduce on its own without our help is is beyond explanation in anybody's mind, I would think. There is a God, an intelligent creator who made everything we see. Now, Chris and I did not talk about our lesson, though he dealt with that in Sunday school. Uh, You did not talk, I did not talk to, I never talked to Nick about what he teaches. And he taught also this morning, I went over there a little bit, on what I'm going to do today. So both Chris and Nick, without conversation, have taught on something I'm going to also teach on here this morning. So evidently you need it. I know I needed it. So it's not intellectual ascent. It's not a temporary faith. They call it foxhole religion. My dad was Marine Corps, Saipan, Tinian, Okinawa. He was the fourth wave on Saipan, the first wave on Tinian. When he hit the beach on Saipan, there were already rivers of blood, human blood, flowing into the ocean. The first 30, 40 feet of the ocean was solid red. And more and more people, they were pouring onto the beach, which the Japanese had sighted in over months and months and months. 
they sighted the beach in. And he said the bullets were going over our heads like angry bumblebees. Any one of them would take you out. A lot of them boys began to call on God that had no business, had no, they had no, what am I going to say? They had no care about God before that. That foxhole that first night, you dug a foxhole and sat in, and he said the water came up to about your waist, and all night long you sat in that water in a tropical environment with mosquitoes. And he said, my socks rotted off of my feet. You couldn't get out of the foxhole or you'd be shot or murdered. The bonsai, Japanese would be yelling bonsai, and they would put a, a knife between their teeth, and they would crawl. It's, one, it's a one-way trip. They'd crawl to the front lines and try to get in a guy's foxhole and kill him, and did. He said, you didn't sleep very good during those periods of time. A lot of those men developed what I call a temporal faith. In other words, while the heat was on them, they cried out to God and wanted his help. But as soon as they got out of the situation and got back home, they forgot about God. That's not being born again. That's not Bible faith. Bible faith is not an intellectual faith. Bible faith is not temporal faith. Bible faith is lifelong, life-altering, decision-changing faith. If you believe, let me give you some examples of Bible faith. If you believe it's going to rain, don't touch your face. I have to. I just have to do it. If you, if you believe... It's going to rain. A lot of us will carry an umbrella. I mean, some of you don't, you know, but you girls that have spent about 500 bucks on your hair, you do not want to have the rain hit your hair and change that whole $500 investment. Um, T.W., he don't care. But if, if it's going to rain... You prepare for rain. If you believe it's going to rain, you prepare for it. If you believe, when you go hunting, how many here hunt? Love you. How many here hunt? Hunting used to be half the, half the group used to go hunting. Surely you go hunting. Hunting, you know what that is, right? People go hunting. When I went hunting here for years, I went hunting and walked through the palmettos and pines of the in, inner area of our, our state here, beautiful place, hunting hogs. One year I killed 40 hogs, wild hogs. Now, if, if you're part of PETA, don't, don't, don't leave on me yet. Don't leave on me yet. We only kill them to eat. And we wore what he calls snake boots. Snake boots. We believed... There were rattlesnakes where we were going. There were. The longest one I ever saw was six foot long. Recently, I killed. there was one I held up in a picture tree about six feet long. A big old, big old six foot rattlesnake. He's got about one inch fangs. And he can put them things as far, he can put them deep inside. So I believe there were snakes. Consequently, because of that belief, I wore snake boots. I believe it's going to rain. So I have a raincoat or, or I have an umbrella. If you believe something, you will prepare for it. It is real. Faith makes it real. 
Oh, I'm going somewhere here. Faith makes it real. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. I believe there are snakes out there where I'm going to go, and my faith causes me to buy $150 snake boots, put them on, and prepare for the possible eventuality, which in all the hunting I've ever done, I've done some night hunting and crazy stuff, never was I even bitten by a rattlesnake or any snake. But I believed that they were there, and I changed my behavior. Faith made it real. Belief made it substance. And so I did something about it. Faith is not biblical. Faith is not fictional. It's not mythological. It's actual and changes your behavior. Let me read you now. I'm going to do it quickly, and I'm sorry about that. You're not going to be able to turn to these, but you can get them later. This is being recorded, and it will be put up on the Internet by Wednesday. Let me read you some life-changing, compelling verses. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, Paul says, I die daily. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8 says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. That's faith that changes something. It changed his behavior. It changed his focus. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, let me look at verse 20 and 21. It says, According to my earnest expectation, my hope that in nothing I should be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 through 10, Paul kind of gives some of the situations. How did Paul make it through just simply unbelievably hard situations? And how are you going to make it through hard situations? Same way he made it through hard situations. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 says, for we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure. We were crushed. Above strength, past our human strength. Insomuch that we even dis we despaired even of life. We just we gave it up. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that listen why. Why did God let them get to the place of where they thought they were going to die? They were despaired of life. Because he says we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God that raised the dead. Trust me, born-again Christian. Over and over the Bible says, look, medicine's fine and it can do what it does, but it's only God that keeps you alive. 
I'm not trusting, even though you can take medicines as far as they'll take you, but understand nothing happens with any of those unless God gives permission for that. Read the book of Job. You know that's so. Verse 10, it says, a three-point sermon here in verse 10. Wow, who hath delivered us, that's past, from so great a death, and doth deliver, that's present, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. That's future. That's a three-point sermon. Boy, wow. I want to do it right now, but I can't. So what are all these things, and what are all these verses I've just mentioned to you as a sample? What do they share in common? They all unite, really, in one major thought. That we with our lives have, that have believed God's Word, both the written Word as well as the living Word, and are willing to lay down our lives, whatever that represents for the cause of Christ, and we don't know, it's individual. In fact, we are already dead. Positionally, we have already died in Christ and are trusting Him for our coming resurrection. To the point that we have no fear of death, but anticipate it as a promotion, ultimately. We are not disappointed by any cost, loss of material gain, or possessions taken from us, or things suffered, but we are concerned about giving glory to God in that. That somehow we can contribute in a small way to the kingdom of of heaven. You say, brother, you say, Bill, how is that possible? In the simplest of terms, Paul, who wrote these verses by the Holy Spirit, believed the Bible. Now I'm going back to the same question I asked you. Do you believe the Bible? Brother and sister in Christ, we are not of the Spirit of fear. I believe it is in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. It gives the people that are going to be excluded from heaven. It says, but the fearful, the first group of people that will be excluded from heaven are the fearful. The second thing he says is unbelieving. You're only fearful because you don't believe. You see how they go together? So when you don't believe and you're fearful, you're rejecting God, calling him a liar. You're saying he isn't. What he says in the Bible really is for somebody else, but it's not for me. It's for some other time, but it's not for this time. It's for some other generation, but it's not for this generation. Now, I'm not talking about going around a licking spoons and being stupid. But you don't have to go around biting your nails and worrying about whether you're going to get the coronavirus. Do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. I can't tell you. You old 60s boys out there, you know how I'm going to. I have been polluted with that stuff. But you go ahead and do what you want to do. But there's a God in heaven. And he's been taking care of you while you've been in the womb. And well, I was talking to Kathy the other day. Is Kathy in here? No, she's in the nursery. Um, I was talking to Kathy the other day about Troy. 
when when uh, when she had Troy, she tried to get rid of him. I mean it. I mean, she played tennis for the first six months of her pregnancy. I mean, bouncing. Get out of there. I told her, I said, I've never seen. I, I, mean, I mean, that old boy was hanging on for dear life. Sometimes he's hanging on by one hand. But if God wanted that boy to be born, God caused him to stay in the womb. God caused the birth to go right. God called, people come to me when I only had one child, I had one child, and they said, aren't you worried? And they, they mean fearful. You only had one child, like maybe that child could die. And I'm like, maybe, maybe I could die. Maybe you could die. Maybe anybody could die. Just having four kids is no guarantee, or five kids, that, they're not all going to get killed at one time. Happened in Job's case. Happened in World War One, I, I think, World War II. Troy, my son Troy, is as safe as God says so. Safest place you'll ever live is the center of the will of God. Man, my safety is, I'm relaxing this morning because my safety is not in my hands as much as I thought it was. Glory to God, hallelujah. If you don't amen, I'm going to amen. I don't hear well, though. you got to amen loudly. That's it. That's it. Let me read you some illustrations I found. I'm going to read them to you because I don't want to miss a word of them. They're so good. A band of brave souls became known as the one-way missionaries two centuries ago, 200 years ago. They bought tickets to the mission field without the return half. Instead of suitcases, they packed a few earthly belongings into coffins. And as they sailed away, they waved goodbye to everyone they loved and all they knew, knowing they'd never return home. Why'd they do it? Go into the world and preach a gospel to every creature. That's why they did it. They believed the Bible and had a call of God to go to those fields. A.W. Milne, and he lived from 1785 to 1822, was one of those missionaries. He set sail for the New High Braves, I believe it's called, in South Pacific, aware that headhunters there had martyred every missionary before him. Milne didn't fear for his life because he had already died to himself. His coffin was packed. For 35 years he lived among that tribe. When he died, they buried him in the middle of the village and inscribed this on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Another intrepid soul cut from the same cloth was an old Methodist missionary, James Calvert, 1813 to 1892, who committed his life to reaching the indigenous peoples of the Fiji Islands. It was widely reported that on his voyage, the ship's captain warned him that he should turn back. You will lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go among such savages. Calvert purportedly replied, 
We died before we came here. I'm giving you a secret. This really shouldn't be a secret. But what Paul said plainly in those verses that I read you. Paul and all those after him who got what the Bible was saying was real were willing and positionally had already died to any gain of this world or any position of this world or anything of this world that God didn't want them to have. They realized that to hold on to their lives in this world was a huge waste of massive opportunity that if Jesus, who is, if I may say it this way, who is who He said He is, who is He? Well, He said He's the way, He's the truth, He's the life. He's the bread of life, the resurrection and the life, the Lamb of God, the Christ, the Son of the living God, the sin-bearer, the Holy One of God, the Savior, the Redeemer, God manifests in the flesh. He's wonderful, Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's called the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If that is so, and you believe the Bible, you believe that is so, then nothing less than what we would call our potential here on earth could be given to him freely. Why? For the salvation, number one, he's given us. For forgiving all of our sins. I was, I was having a hard time sleeping, and I was up early, and I was, I was restless, and I was, I, I'd kind of go into in and out of sleep, and I was kind of wrestling, to be honest with you, with things. And, and uh, I got thinking about being, being forgiven of all my sins. You don't know how bad I am. Some of you think you do, but you just don't know how bad I am. I'm a sinner. Uh, I like to like Paul, the chief of sinners. I've had thoughts go through my mind that are so despicable, so horrible, so inhuman, so wicked, that I literally shudder when they go through. How could this be? I cry like I did this morning. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory in Christ Jesus. What do I owe Him? Well, for reconciling me to the Father and giving me the peace that only God can give. Giving me a new position with God, not as an outsider, but as a friend and as a child. Then indwelling me with the Holy Spirit, who it says in the 14th chapter of John, he'll never take away. Telling me I'm an overcomer and making me an overcomer. He says in Romans chapter 8, I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved us. I'm a possessor of eternal life. What are those things worth? So, what is the problem when God asks you to serve Him? What's the problem? When He asks you to teach Sunday school class, amen? Scary, isn't it? No problem. Because of what He's done for me, I believe the Bible, I'm going to do it. I don't have any gifts to do it. I don't have any ability to do it. But I'm willing to stand up there and make a fool of myself for Christ. I'm giving my testimony. 
at 18 years old, when he asked me to come in a minute, I said to anybody else, anybody, plumber maybe, electrician perhaps, never a preacher. I'm shy. I was a very shy young man, to myself, a loner. And yet God says, I'm going to rip you out of all that and put you in front of a bunch of sweet people. And you're going to preach my word. I said, what? What holds us back? I'll tell you what holds us back, and I'm about ready to stop. Unbelief. Unbelief. Unbelief was what held Adam and Eve back and caused them to fall. The last sin that's ever done in this world, it'll be by unbelief. Unbelief is the foundation of all sin. I believe there are some 49 different sins mentioned in the Bible, and unbelief is behind every one of them. And you, as a born-again Christian, doesn't mean you stop sinning. In fact, it means you become aware of what you're doing. Now you're a free will agent to make your choices. If you walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The problem is you walk in the flesh, and the Holy Spirit says, ah. You ever sin and have the Holy Spirit go, Ugh. You ever say something stupid, and you just go, Ugh. I've never done that. I've said so many bad, so many crazy things, things I wish I could call them back. You can't do it. Unbelief. You know unbelief. Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. Unbelief stopped Jesus from working miracles. Now, that's how powerful unbelief is. Even though he was a son of God, Bible says in Colossians and other places, literally by him all things were made, not, and without him was not anything made that was made. I mean, he made everything. He's the creator of the universe walking among men in, in human form. The biggest problem he had at the crucifixion and during the crucifixion was that he didn't say something that he shouldn't say. Because in one word, he could have wiped the soldiers out. In one word, he could have wiped those, those Pharisees that were, that were so lying about him. That was the beginning of fake news, by the way, was the Pharisees. They did. They crucified him on fake news. They hated him. What did he do? He went about doing good to all men and healing all that were infirmed and sick, even raising the dead in some cases. What did he do? So badly that they gnashed their teeth on him. The Bible says, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And let me say this, he'll not do many mighty works here. Without faith. Folks, don't you let this crisis shake you the little bit, not the least little bit. These things have come and gone through the centuries. I gave you a list, before, I think on the internet, I gave you a whole list of these things that have happened before. I grew up during polio. I had a vaccine. I was five years old. My brother Jim had polio. That was a virus. Tuberculosis. I drank and shared water out of, a, out of an active tuberculosis guy when I went to Haiti. When I, at the end of the day, he told, I, I said, why have you been coughing all day? He says, oh, I got tuberculosis. I'm like, you got what? I said, 
You know, I mean, I came back home, got tested. I didn't have it. Somehow I got protected from it. I mean, I've, I've been vaccinated, okay. But you'll live through this by the grace of God. And if you don't, by the grace of God as born-again believer, one minute in heaven and you'll be sorry you hung on to this thing so hard. Now, I don't want to die. I went to the hospital last week. I thought, you know, you go in there and the guy, the, the doc comes out and starts giving you what I call the doom and gloom. Well, this, you know, you could have, this could accelerate to a, to a heart attack and you could flatline and you could all this. And I say, yeah, I could have got hit by a car on the way here. I appreciate doctors. Don't get me wrong. But my life is not in his hands. It's in God's hands. Ultimately. Ultimately. Quit fearing. Don't fear. Because if you believe God, like the Bible says, and you believe the words of the Bible, you do not fear. Why? Because Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And here's the the big one right here. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall Never die. And then the, the, the words that follow up. Believest thou this? I said the same words at the funeral. This is my favorite part of the Bible. He's not talking about physical death. We all die physically. The only two people ever didn't die physically are Enoch and Elijah. The rest of the people died physically. I'll tell you what, poor Lazarus, the resurrection, John chapter 11, I think he died twice. Ain't too many people have to, once is bad enough, but dying twice is tough. He got resurrected by the Lord Jesus Christ, and eventually, the Bible never says he, he probably died again, as all humans do. These men and women, through the ages, that have believed the words of this book, they believe the words of this book. They believed it was not only the written word, but they believed it was the living word, empowered by God himself. Did not have fear of dying. And let me say this, they rather embraced it. They embraced it. You know, I'm not preaching to you tonight. I'm not preaching to you this morning. I'm preaching to me. I'm preaching to me. Because they already counted it as done, as a done deal. And by the way, you can't hurt a dead man. Now, you saw mom. You could poke her. Some of you touched her. No reaction. You, can, you could do whatever you wanted to. A dead body, you can do everything you want to. It, it doesn't move, it doesn't react, and it doesn't fear. Why? It's dead. May God help us to be dead to the passions of the flesh by the grace of God. May God help you to be dead to the fear that wants to rise up like a monster and consume you. These old boys, on the way to the mission field, they packed their belongings in coffins. By the way, you know what those coffins ended up being called? Hope chess. 
They call them hope chests. <laughs> hope chests. I've buried at this church over 200 sweet folks. And I have a hope that someday we're going to have a grand, grand time of reunion together. And, I, and it's not pie in the sky. It's a hope that's biblically based, been believed on now for over 2,000 years by born-again believers. No wonder we're called the happy band, a singing group of people. Let's be the light in the midst of the darkness we got out there. Let's be the hope in the midst of their despair. Let's encourage them to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Wouldn't do any good to be the author if he couldn't finish the deal. Amen. Listen, if Jesus wasn't God, he couldn't do what he said he'd done, and all our hopes shot. But if he is who he said he was, and he is, then he's got the power to accomplish those words which he spoke, and we trust him for it. I hope you know Christ is your personal Savior. I hope you quit watching the news. And you start reading this book. The news is going to undo your faith, and this will build it. Now, don't be uninformed. All you have to do is call Wendy Stone. She'll tell you everything you need to know. It'll take about three minutes. But if you're watching news every day, you are going to, that is a nail-biting, end-of-the-world scenario. Uh, you know, we're going to have the Great Depression. And, and you know what? If we had the Great Depression or a greater depression than my dad went through, God will still be there with us. And I'm going to say we're going to come out better on the other side because my dad did. Your parents came out better because of the Depression. They got a work ethic out of it. They got an appreciation for money, appreciation for hard work out of it that you can't get in school. You can't get it in reading a book. And God, in essence, in 1929, did them a favor preparing them for what was coming in 1940, which they did not know was coming. And so when 40 hit, there was a generation of people called the greatest generation. It was a prepared generation for the greatest war ever hit mankind. And praise the Lord, fascism failed. Even though it still wants to raise its ugly head, even in America. May God put it down. Father, help us. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239 947 1285. Thank you, and God bless.